0: Welcome to the Education Gadfly Show. I'm your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Today, Denisha Allen, a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children, joins us to discuss the prospects for school choice in Texas's special legislative session. Then on the Research Minute, Amber discusses a new study that examines the shrinking wage premium for college degrees. All this on the Education Gadfly Show.
1: This is the Education Gadfly Show.
2: I want to be one of these hiring compares one day. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> oh, should I get money? And I'm like, yeah, give me some money. What does
0: Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at fordhaminstitute.org. And now, please welcome our special guest for this week, Denisha Allen. Denisha, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Mike. It's good to see you again.
0: Uh, likewise, it has been a while. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Denisha is a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children and also the founder of Black Minds Matter. Also joining us, as always, is David Griffith. Hey, Mike. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Well, Denisha, I understand you've been very busy, including, uh, you know, with, with the little baby boy uh, on your end. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Very exciting. Well, we wanted to ask you about the school choice debates that are going on around the country, but especially in the Lone Star State. Got a special session starting this week, and we want to hear all about it. So let's do that on Ed Reform Update. All right, Denisha, I understand you're going to be spending time in Austin this week. Uh, Governor Abbott has called a special session, I think mostly, if not entirely, to talk. Uh, well, you tell me to talk about his proposed education savings account initiative. Are we feeling hopeful? What, what's going on?
2: That's ex- absolutely right. You know, um, the legislature failed to pass their education savings account bill during normal session hours. So Governor Abbott said, you know, we're going to stay open until this thing gets passed and called the special session for school choice and some other issues. But his number one priority is to provide an education savings account for Texas students. He's saying that all Texas students deserves a high quality education and they're not going to leave until this thing gets done. And so we I'm flying out um, to go to Texas uh, to testify Hopefully, I get called on to Texify. We're we're all heading heading over to make sure that this happens. Um, There's so many minority families, in particular, lower income kids who are not in schools that are serving their their um, particular needs or interests. And you would think that Texas, out of all states, would have been done this already because, you know we we throw out you know what the profile looks like of the states that have passed universal school choice bills or just expansive school choice bills. And they tend to look like Texas. Have a Republican governor, have a Republican House, have a Republican Senate. It's a trifecta. And you they they haven't done it yet. So everybody's scratching their head trying to figure out what's going on.
0: Well, so let's talk about that. I mean, you know, the conventional wisdom forever has been that in Texas, uh, the Republican lawmakers from rural areas and, you know, which is a very strong block there, have not been supportive of private school choice, they don't see much in it for their constituents, right? Uh, you know, especially the way that we generally talk about private school choice being focused on kids maybe in the cities or, you know, Black and Hispanic kids. Of course, uh, in a state like Texas, you know, there are there's a diversity of students all over the state, but but still, uh, you know, they they haven't generally seen this as something that they wanted to support or, you know, the traditional public school systems of which there are 1,000 in Texas, right, are the major employers that the superintendents and the school board members, all very strong politically. So, you know, all those pe- reasons people say, well, that's why we haven't gotten school choice in Texas. So I'm curious if uh, there's something about this education savings account plan that is different, that is maybe has a chance of getting more of those rural lawmakers on board.
2: You know, I don't in the actual policy, there's no particular difference, Um, but it is an ESA, which is different in the type of legislation that's typically proposed. You know, normally it is a tax credit scholarship or an education savings account that's geared toward a means tested group. So you it's you know, either a lower income block or a block that has special needs. In some states like Tennessee, they're blocked at the two major cities like Memphis or Nashville. But now this bill that's proposed is an education savings account bill that will give every student in Texas, regardless of their income or where, where they um, live geographically, unrestricted funds. So parents can not only use these funds for private school, but they can use these funds for tutoring. They can use these funds for iPad, for other learning materials, other learning services that um, they, they might not have been able to afford before. The reason why I point this out is because in those rural areas, students can still access these esa dollars while still attending their local school which should ease that tension between you know rural Republicans trying to figure out oh should we should we accept these dollars because it's going to take away from our that's not true by the way I should say that that is not true we've seen across the country where especially in Florida Arizona where the increase in education funds increases school options in all communities and it's not taking away from any particular school there's this one wonderful vignette of a, a teacher who actually founded a school in her rural community. She's from that community. And it was
0: it was a beautiful story. Yeah. So, you know, Denisha, I've I've written some about the universal ESAs. And look, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of giving rich people money they don't need, right? I mean, and I've tried to be consistent on this. Uh, you know, I hate it, for example, when states are passing these laws to give everybody free lunch. And, and I think, okay, I, I mean, I get it. We want poor kids and working class kids to get lunch, healthy lunch at school. But surely in this day and age with technology, we could figure out a way to do that where it's it's invisible. Uh, but we don't have to, you know, give people making, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, their kids free lunch. It was same thing here, right? That, you know, I, I get it. But as we've seen in some of these other areas where we've gone to universal ESAs, you know, a ton of that money ends up going to affluent families who already have their kids in private schools. Again, I can see how this could help politically. I mean, your point about the rural areas is certainly going to help for the homeschoolers who are able to tap some of this money. And that that makes sense. But I mean, I don't know, Denisha. I mean, all along, so much of our advocacy over the years has been about leveling the playing field, giving opportunity to kids who otherwise don't have opportunity, meaning kids whose families are low income. And now we're just going to give it to everybody. I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about that?
2: You know, I, I, I'm I not going to disagree or, you know, agree. I definitely I'll just share a little short story. So I, I had the tax credit scholarship growing up. And when I graduated from a uh, school, graduated from grad school, I went to live in D.C. I brought my sister with me. Now, she her academic outcomes were worse than mine. She was three grade levels behind and I wanted to put her in a private school. Now, by income, I was making good money working in D.C. I was middle, middle income, middle class, finally. And I could not afford private school tuition with my income. That's when my perspective on this issue changed. Here's a student. I grew up in poverty. I had a tax credit scholarship to go to a private school because I was I, I was lower income. Moved, had better income, still couldn't afford private school tuition, even though I knew it would have a better opportunity for my for my sister. And so that's kind of where I am today. You know, I feel like yes, there are a lot of families who do have money, but they're still not able to provide their students with the education that they want that's best for their kid. I also think that it's a reframing of what we define as public education, you know, as public school, we should unbundle all of these dollars and give them directly to parents higher income parents and lower income parents. You know, I kind of feel bad because I'm not going I want to be one of these higher income parents one day. Yeah. That's (laughs) like, oh, should I get money? And I'm like, yeah, give me some money. Because, you know, if I'm still if I pull my kid out of their traditional public school, I can afford to pay private school tuition right out of pocket for a five star, you know, sit well in friends type of school why should my my tax dollars still be going to fund a system that my kid is not in? Shouldn't I have those dollars? And so I think we still have that conversation of where is the money going? And I think that always that's where we're going to continue to boil it down to where's the money going and who does the money belong to? And I think the, it is the money belongs to parents. And no, this isn't a subsidy for higher income parents, but the money still does belong to them.
0: Well, and, and look, I think Ohio perhaps is a good model for Texas and in that in, in the ESA program that uh, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not ESA, the voucher expansion that was just enacted. Uh, this spring, it did go to universal, so everybody gets at least some of it, but there's a sliding scale so that the most affluent parents only get a small scholarship. And I think that that is a, a compromise that maybe is worth looking at. David, uh, what's on your mind as you're thinking about Texas uh, and Denise's arguments here? What Any thoughts?
1: Well, it is kind of an acid test, right? Like how um, how much do you really believe that, you know, parents know what's best for their kids full stop right personally i i actually i mean there's there's kind of two ways you can criticize it right or 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 push back one is the 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 route that you've chosen for the sake of interest i'll i'll take the other one and say you know i i also worry about the lack of just of of transparency around outcomes um i don't particularly care (laughs) how parents spend the money if it works but I do kind of want to know that something is working, right? And so, you know, the state does not have perfect knowledge of how your kid is doing, right? That's kind of at the, at the fundamental, at the core of the school choice argument, right? Uh, is that parents have some additional knowledge and understanding of their kid and that that if you give them the freedom to sort of meet their kid's needs, they will because we all love our kids, right? And I agree with that, but only up to a point, right? And so um, I think, you know, I think the state has some understanding of how your kid's doing if there's some sort of test.
0: Well, and, and that's interesting. I mean, te- Texas, of course, has been, you know, at the, a pioneer for a long time around testing and accountability. So what do you think, Denisha? I mean, should there be some kind of test required for kids to take this voucher so we can at least find out uh, how they're doing?
2: You know, I think the conversation around transparency is always very interesting because we hold the schools of choice, uh, namely private schools, and then we regulate charter schools to get at, oh, we need to know. We need to know everything that's happening in these schools. We need to know that the kids are reading and all this and doing math. But the bar is set really low already. Like we, We are not using the information and the data that we already have, the transparency that's already baked into the current system to put pressure on and Changing it in Texas, uh, 30% of white kids are proficient in reading, 17% of black kids are proficient in reading in Texas, and we know that because we have the test. And so, are we gonna, you know, get those same results and mandate that the other systems do it just so that you know they can't do any worse than what we already have? Mm,
0: You know, I don't know, no, no. In some states, they've done worse, I don't know, they could do worse. I mean, that's the problem, Denise. They did worse in Indiana, they did worse in Louisiana. you know, I mean, so, so and look in Texas, of course, famously has intervened. Like, I mean, they took over the Houston public schools. Right. Uh, so, I mean, there is this is a place that has more so than many states, uh, you know, lived walked the walk, you know, said we're going to look at performance. We're going to hold schools accountable for that. So, you know, this of, of any place. Maybe but it hasn't place. worked. Well, uh... and then
3: we
2: have where I, I there is an article. Uh, Corey DeAngelis and Jay Green they just came out with a a research paper in a National Review talking about the regulation of charter schools. You know, they we've we've regulated charter schools so much that they've stifled innovation. So, do we create these alternative learning environments just to make
0: them mirror what we have already? What's the point? No, well, look, and 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 it, there's certainly a trade-off, right? That if you mandate some testing and some transparency, yes, it's it could encourage some schools to try to pay more attention to the tests than they otherwise would. Yes, maybe some of the most innovative models wouldn't look very good. But you know, on the other hand, you could have a result where you know we we spend all this money and the kids don't actually learn any better than they would have in the traditional public schools right and and so for you know for a group like Fordham where our goal you know our our North star is about improving student outcomes and we're in favor of school choice to the extent that it helps us get there certainly think all parents have a right to send their kids to a school that that meets their needs but uh you know us we we do like the testing and accountability and it'll be interesting to see if that becomes part of the debate in Texas uh which is is going to play out uh, before our eyes here so Denisha, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm afraid that's all the time we've got. But again, Denisha Allen, American Federation for Children and the founder of Black Minds Matter. Thanks for coming on, Denisha.
2: Michael, David, thanks for having me.
0: All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. So we are recording this on what some people call Columbus Day, what other people call Indige- Indigenous People's Day, and what Fordham calls a regular work day.
3: Work day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. We we lost this one in um what was this? Taken away for Juneteenth, maybe I'm not quite sure, like, but at one time we had it, but it got replaced by something else. But yeah,
0: that's right. Well now also we we take off the week between Christmas and New Year's. Oh that's Friday. right. To not take off too many of these other, you know. That's right. What, what do we call these national holidays that are like, you know, quasi national holidays? I mean, yes. Um, they...
1: Holidays. That's what most people call them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's great, though. Haven't you noticed like there's not that much email coming in? It's you can get your work done. You
1: know, it's it's like working on the weekend. Everybody's minding their kids, Mike, <laughs> <are> in school. <laughs>
0: My kids are old enough. One was at a birthday party scheduled on a, a, a school holiday. That was pretty smart. And now at the movies.
3: Nice. What are they seeing?
0: Uh, it's uh, some DC comic movie that I don't even know. Yeah. Some superhero movie. But hey, getting getting a good Monday rate. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> awesome. All right, Amber, what you got for us? This yeah, all right,
3: We got a study out from the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. This is a nice little research shop. They put out some interesting, uh, mostly descriptive studies, but they are looking at the college wage premium. Uh, In this case, we're talking about the difference between average wages earned by workers with four-year degrees and those with a high school diploma. So um, I don't know, Mike, you sent this one along because in part because it reminded you of our study where we did this a few years ago, but we were mainly looking at bachelor's and associate's degrees uh, differences. But most people think of it as, College degrees and high school diplomas, which is what we're looking at here.
0: Right. And we did. We looked at it by geography, which we think nobody had done. But we also broke it down by, by race. And it was uh, very interesting and enlightening. I learned a lot from it.
3: So this one, same thing, descriptive study, uh, uses microdata from the current population survey, which collects household data each month from 60,000 households. They focus on the one-fourth of that sample that gets asked every month. Boy, can you imagine being part of that sample? Every month they get asked about their wages and their hours. They combine those responses over the 12 months of each year to yield annual samples that can be compared across racial and ethnic groups. Uh, They adjust the difference, the results for differences in the demographic and geographic composition of the sample across groups and over time, and define racial graph groups in a way that there's no overlap. Uh, They're looking at the years 2000 to 2022. So about 22 years. And then uh, findings. Results show that in 2020, wages for workers with at least a college degree were 68% higher on average than wages earned by high school graduates. Moreover, like a bunch of other studies, they find that the wage premium rose substantially during the three decades starting in the 1980s, but flattened during the decade following the Great Recession of 2007 through 2009. In the three COVID years, the college wage premium has declined from a peak of 79% in the mid-2010s to about 75% in 2022. Uh, they say, you know, it may sound like a just a drop in the bucket, this four percentage point drop uh, but it's actually pretty meaningful by comparison because apparently uh, during 20, 2000 to 2015, there was a gain of 10 percentage points. So to lose four in you know the last three years is, is a, a big deal. Uh, and then they turned to racial groups. Uh, and the headline here is that college wage premium is especially large for Asian workers with college grads earning more than twice what high school graduates earn, which is a 120% premium compared to the roughly 70 to 80% premium for the three other racial groups. Uh, And then they look in the early, they kind of dig down. Now they're gonna look in the early half of the recovery from the great recession. And they see that all groups saw gains, but those gains flattened out for white workers towards the latter half of the recovery and they fell for Hispanic and Black workers, but the premiums for Asians continued to rise. The higher college wage premium for Asians, they say, likely reflects differences in their choice of majors, their attainment of postgraduate degrees, which they don't uh, present data on, and their subsequent occupations. Since the 2020 pandemic, the college wage premium has edged down slightly for all groups except Hispanic workers. And then they look, last part here, then they look at why this college wage premium plateaued during the uh, Great Recession recovery. And then why it subsequently declined after that. And the big question is, okay, is this rising wages for high school graduates or is it falling wages for workers with a college degree or is it a combination of both those things? And they do a bunch of analyses, they show that it's more rapid wage growth for high school graduates, rather than slower wage growth for college graduates. Uh, it's the primary reason for the flattening or the reduction of the premium, specifically from 2000 to 2011, real wages picked up for all groups, but they accelerated more for high school graduates than college graduates. And that pattern was even more pronounced for Black and Hispanic workers. For those groups, wages for high school grads grew grew slightly faster than wages for college grads, which was a reversal, I hope you're keeping up with all this, a reversal of the faster wage growth pattern for college grads that happened before 2011. And since 2011, however, the wages for white high school graduates and college graduates have been rising roughly by the same amount while wages for asian college grads are rising more rapidly than asian high school grads. Whew. And then they look at the pandemic and they say the big change is that the real wages for asian high school graduates has now picked up again too. <laughs> uh concluding that tight labor markets in recent years have changed the relative wages and maybe altering the perceived benefits of college education, but then they say, you know what? The big picture is that you're still given the higher lifetime earnings of college graduates, which is about you know the the wage premium is about double for them over the course of their life, that if you you know make a life altering decision based on a short-term labor market change uh, that could go away, maybe that's not a good idea. That's what I've got.
0: Very good. Well, look, this is good news in that we see wages increasing for the uh, lower wage workers, these workers that have just a high school diploma. And, you know, and I I suspect it's interesting that they didn't mention it, that uh, I would think that some of these laws in states that are boosting the minimum wage would be a factor you know, because of course that's, you know, when, when you're looking at that high school wage earning and in some places as people that are still making that, that minimum wage. So, you know, these places that have gone, you know, the fight for 15 stuff and all of that, I would think would have had some impact on that.
1: I always love it when we wander into the broader economic literature, Mike. Like- <laughs> yes, exactly. Well,
0: and and look, and this is just wages. I mean, you know, what doesn't get captured here too, is about all of the sort of tax and transfer policy that happened in recent years. You know, the COVID era relief aid that went, uh, you know, disproportionately to lower wage workers. So, Look, we are doing much better in this country for, uh, you know, the low income working class workers than we were maybe a decade ago. And that's good. But yes, that doesn't mean people should not go to college. If you're good at school, uh, if you have a good chance of succeeding and graduating from college, you should go to college. Right. What, what none of these things, these these studies do, though, is try to control for student achievement right? And how much of these college wage premium is college and how much of it uh, can be explained just by differences in student achievement? Uh, you know, the sheepskin effect, right? Is it that kids are learning more in college or are they, you know, it's just that the diploma is is standing in for the fact that they're just higher achieving. They've got more skills and that's why they're getting paid more. How you like that, David, huh? Rolled right off the tongue.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was too intrigued by the, the subgroup results. I mean, I I I I don't know. I mean, as I was listening to them, I was thinking, does this mean that, you know, just eight more Asians should be going to college? I don't think that's the takeaway. Right. Because we're not talking about the marginal Asian here. Right. But it is kind of intriguing. Right. When these different groups are trending in different directions um, and. I don't know. I didn't I was I guess the point is I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Right. Um, well,
0: look, The the diff, but here's the thing or the direction could go the other way, because there's already a disproportionate number of Asian students that are going to college and graduating. It's huge. Way more kids, including even more than you would expect based on student achievement alone. You know that this is the highest achieving group. So. I mean, that could be a factor, too. I mean, yeah, and and maybe it's on the other end. I suspect that the group of Asian students with just a high school diploma is pretty small. And so that could be a sort of selection effect going on there.
1: Yeah. All we got to do is keep labor markets tight for the next 30 years, and we're good. All right. Well, hey, uh, that could happen,
0: actually, thanks to the baby boomers retiring and the baby bust, right? It looks like uh, that is something that is in our future, perhaps. Of course, those, those robots don't get paid anything. So that's the other big question.
3: Oh man, you brought you tied that all together, Mike. Yeah, you like that? Nice.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, that's the next study the college wage premium for robots. Let's see uh, what that looks like.
3: Good boy.
0: All right. Well, again, happy Columbus Day. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day uh, to you and yours. Uh, But that is all the time we've got for this week. So until next week. I'm David Griffith And I'm Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education GapFly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at
1: FordhamInstitute.org.